0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Now when I get to the first verse of chapter 6, I probably will not read all of chapter 5 in preparation for that, but to to get to the verses we're going to read today are a little bit further in chapter 5, and I'm going to read uh, the verses 1 through 32 with special emphasis in our preaching on 27 through 30 and an application with 31 and 32. I had mentioned that anytime I'm preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, whether it's in chapter 6 or 7, I want to mention the Beatitudes are the beginning. He's beginning with the blessings. He begins with grace. We'll be looking at his law today, but it's under his grace. Let us hear God's word. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. the kingdom of heaven we begin and we end the beatitudes here with the kingdom of heaven and then he amplifies verse 10 further and 12 he says blessed are you when when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets which were before you you are the salt of the earth That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks, one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and pharisees you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven now what he's going to be doing now is correcting those scribes and pharisees whose teachings were not true Commandment six in the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger, shall be in danger of the counsel But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer And you'd be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. And then our verses for today, particularly. You have heard that as it was said to those of old time, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except for, for except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these divine words that our Lord Jesus spoke. We thank you for his righteousness for his correction. And we ask you, Lord, we might receive his word. And Lord, help us to walk in it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You might remember if you were here last week, we had to talk a little bit about the law, understanding that it is in three parts, judicial, ceremonial, and the moral law seen in the Ten Commandments. The judicial and the... um, ceremonial law though always wisdom to us always pointing to Christ was fulfilled and the moral law continues in the Ten Commandments as Paul taught us very clearly in Romans 13 when he says how do you love your brother or sister by not committing murder in your heart of course he doesn't say it there but Jesus points that out to us in the Sermon on the Mount by do not murder do not commit adultery etc and so we have the Lord Jesus here pointing out the law to us and what I want to talk today to us in sort of in our introduction is understanding more about law and grace in our call to worship you remember we read the law came by moses but grace and truth came by jesus christ unfortunately in my early years i was taught that verse this way the law came by moses so we never need to be concerned about that again but grace and truth came by jesus christ and this is all we need to be concerned about that hurt me because Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, who's correcting the scribes and Pharisees, says, we need to look at the law. And he never said, turn away from it. He says, no, it's fulfilled, but he commands us to walk in it. Our righteousness should exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I want you to understand what you should be doing that they were not. And so I completely misunderstood this. So what what does John mean in his introduction when he says that the law came by Moses But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. We understand the law. It talks about, the psalmist says, Lord, give me your law graciously. The law was given to tell us what sin is, but it was also a law that directed them to Christ. What are you going to do when you sin against the law? You're going to be judged according to that law, but you can go to the Savior. And, of course, Abraham was looking forward to that day in grace. And Moses was looking forward to that day. Moses didn't look at those Ten Commandments and say, now we got a way to get there. No, they were pointing to Christ, who would keep those laws perfectly. So it's not law versus grace. It's law acting under grace, pointing us to grace, and then walking in law by grace. And then as I preach today, I'm greatly indebted to Martin Lloyd-Jones and his sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. And in in his messages on uh, the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder, in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, he points out very importantly that what the scribes and Pharisees had done is that they were seeing the letter of the law, check, didn't do that, no blood on the ground, no murder, Uh, didn't sleep with her, check, didn't do that, no adultery, but they missed the spirit of the law. And I want us to turn to 2 Corinthians 3 to look at some verses there that Paul speaks of. 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to read verses 4 through 8 and talk particularly about verse 6. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient ministers of the new covenant not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraven on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance or his face, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Well, hear how this was taught to me wrongly in the beginning of my christian life as paul said there the letter kills the spirit gives life and so the letter is the law don't be concerned about that the spirit gives life walk by the spirit but we are to walk by the spirit but the spirit gave the word in the sermon on the mount for jesus to correct that law so that we could walk in it and uh, the lord jesus He never meant for us to ever quit looking at the law. Never for our salvation. We're not under the law as a covenant of works. Do this and live. No, we are under the law to Christ, as the scripture says. That's what Paul says. I'm under the law to Christ to walk in it, in freedom. It's not my judge. It's pointing me to the Lord himself. The law is a reflection of his character. He never lies. No wonder he said, you shall not lie. He never Murders, Now, he's going to judge, but it's not in cold blood murder like we would do. It's justice. And so we must understand law and grace are not enemies. Law is an enemy if you think you can earn your way to heaven by it. But God gives his law graciously. And as you've been saved, he turns you back to that law to walk in it and to pray and you know, had someone say, well, he doesn't, he's not always quoting the Ten Commandments. He doesn't have to. It's the moral law that is written on our hearts. And he tells us not to lie. He doesn't say, now, you remember, that's the, uh, that's the Ninth Commandment. He does regarding this. Remember, he quotes the Fifth Commandment and he tell, in, in Ephesians 6. He says, honor your father and mother. He goes back to the Ten Commandments. But every commandment we receive in the New Testament, you could almost always trace it back one way or another To the Ten Commandments. We're to love our neighbors, right? Well, Jesus summarized all the law and prophets with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. And so Jesus said that's all the law and the prophets. He's he's talking about the law here to turn us to God in love. He wants us to love the Lord. That's why this sermon was written. So you see how horrible it is to denigrate the law and put it away and say, we don't look at that. If you're looking at the law perfectly, you're looking at Christ fulfilling it perfectly. You're looking at the one that ever did this, and so may we do that. As we go through the sermon today, we're going to think particularly about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, and blessed are the pure in heart. Now, in review, you remember last week we looked at the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And the Pharisees were thinking they'd done this. They got the letter of the law checked, and Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, in one translation, as without a cause, you're going to be in danger of hellfire, calling him fool. This is going to take you to an eternal judgment because you've murdered in your heart. Yes, no blood on the ground, but you've done that in your heart. When you speak an unkind word to someone, You've violated that commandment. You've hurt them. And this is what the spirit of this law is. You always do something good for your neighbor, not hurtful to your neighbor. And we, we read the Westminster Confession. Confession. And he said, what, what, what does this law prohibit? What does this law tell us to do? And a long list of things that the spirit of this law would lead us to do in not murdering our brother and sister. It's, it's applicable all the time when you speak to your children. You've got to correct them. Don't murder them. You're not gonna you'll never amount to anything. Oh yeah, they'll amount to something in God's kingdom, and you tell them that, but they're gonna have to deal with that sin. And you do it in love. And so we come to today. The Lord said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks on a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We're going to have four points today. The first point on the seventh commandment will be that the Lord Jesus properly teaches this commandment. Second point will be the, this commandment teaches the mortification of sin, the putting to death of our sin. And then we'll look at the fact that this commandment is a protection for marriage. produces a wall around marriage. And then finally, our fourth point, how Christ fulfills the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. So our first point, this commandment is properly taught by the Lord Jesus Christ. You have heard that it was said to them of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is saying, adultery begins with a look. I just looked. What's the matter with a look? I looked again. I, I kept looking. I started thinking about it. I didn't touch one. Never touched one. That, that's what a Pharisee would say. The Lord Jesus goes down to the very recesses of our, our eyeballs. We see that things all the time but what do we think what do we do with the thought and so the lord jesus is correcting this wondrously graciously to help us know you can't be like a pharisee but you can be like one of my children that puts to death that look the thought came it's got to go quickly Immediately, because you know what happens with sin? It's kind of like that tree in the backyard. We planted, a few, my mother in law had me plant a few dinky pine trees. They're giants now. And sin is like that. It will grow and grow, and it's addictive. I was just looking at the internet a little bit. I mean, what's a little bit of soft stuff? And for your parents who wonder if you got children here, I'm going to be using very clinical words for very great sins if you catch my drift. I'm not going to use the P word, okay? We're going to be look at We look at images we should not look at. Oh, I repented of that. But then we look again. And I wish I could say it's just men and boys that do this. I heard last year that women and girls are now doing this more than ever. Not more than men and boys necessarily, but just, this, this is a, a plague and the reason why it could be a plague is because we're sinners and we gravitate in our flesh to sin, but as Christians, we are to cut that off. As Jesus will say, and we'll talk about later. Put it up, put it away, put it to death. And so here's the sin. And who would say, I've never done that? Can you flip over with me to Job thirty one? Let's read what Job said. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Lord, I told you I was going to use these eyes for your glory. And you remember Job was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. How would you like to have that designation from God? He had it. He knew his eyes could sin. He knew he could look on a woman. And he could lust after her. The Lord had taught this to him in his heart. Lord, my eyes are for you. And they're for my wife. And it's not to look at her sinfully either. But to know that God has given that relationship as one flesh. a Pure relationship in his eyes. Now, all the modern translations, the ones I usually look at are New King James, ESV, and new american standard all quote this as saying why then should i look upon a young woman now i was converted reading a king james bible they didn't even have new king james back then they barely had a new american standard and that one says says something like this i've made a covenant with my eyes why then should i think upon a maid now i talked to a hebrew tutor one time and i said well could it be translated both ways he said it could be translated both ways I rechecked that this last week, and that's what I found. Now, it could mean look, but it could also mean think. What if you're not looking, but you're thinking about something you looked at? It's called a fantasy, right? Something's going on in the brain. You're not even, you're not even watching the Internet. The brain is sinning. Jesus sees that. He says that's sin. I'm defining for you what the law is. And you cannot be saved unless you've got to see the Savior. But what makes you go to the Savior? I'm a sinner. What did the man call out in his heart? He beat upon his chest. He said, God, be merciful to me. And the original says, the sinner. Jesus did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance who've looked into the law of God and said, Whoa. There's a wall there I cannot climb. That's a wall leading me straight to hell if I stay in this sin of looking and thinking and acting upon it in self-gratification. What a Savior. Are you not thankful we don't stop there? We go on to the second point. He taught that commandment properly. But then he also taught the mortification of sin. Now, young people, this word mortification, it's a gigantic word. Yes, it comes from the Latin to kill, to put to death. Morticians deal with dead bodies. And so we're commanded to mortify this. This is what the Lord Jesus said in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Talked about hell with the sixth commandment. Now we got it again with the seventh commandment. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And that will happen. Those who do not mortify their sins, who continue in their sins, do not know the Lord, and they will be cast into a burning, fiery hell that will never cease or be quenched. Those are Jesus' words. We do not delight in saying that. And God says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. He says, why will you die? Look and live. The gospels will be preached to every creature. We read in, in the book of John that this light has come to every man not savingly but every man knows that there is a God and every man is every man must come to him so here is this further commandment now Martin Lloyd-Jones points out that there were people in the history of the church that actually did this literally they actually cut off the right hand I can't imagine plucking out the right eye, but that's what he said. What's the problem? you got a left hand and you got a left eye. It's not talking about that. You're still going to sin. He's talking about this is violent, folks. When something is put to death, it's gone. And we're looking forward to the day of heaven when Jesus comes back and it's finally gone and it's finally never to be repentant. This is what we do now. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said we were born to repent. And that's what we do. I heard one saint say to another saint, like, I hope I can be like you. And he said, you'll be doing a lot of repenting. That's what it is. We're putting things to death. How do we do this? How in the world do we put this to death? Well, Romans eight thirteen says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's eternal death. And even spiritually as a Christian, there's a death that takes place. There's nothing good in sin. There's this temporal death in your soul that is separated from you from God. But if, but if by the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live in this life and the next. And praise God for when You look upon someone and in the past you'd lingered. And now it's not that you can turn your eyes away, you can say, I dare not. I dare not sin against my God. Remember Joseph? I don't know what Potiphar's wife looked like, but I don't think she was probably a wallflower, if you know what I mean. Potiphar was a very wealthy man. And old Joseph, God is sovereign, isn't he? Goes into prison. And he doesn't go into prison. He will go into prison. He's he's sold into Egypt. And here he is working for Potiphar. And boy, this guy's great. I mean, I, I could turn over the farm to him. He's going to run the ranch really well. And he did. But he had to go in and I guess do the bookkeeping, whatever he had to do. And there was this woman there. And every day she was saying, lie with me. He's a handsome man. He's the best man on the crew, right? Wisest. He puts it away. <laughs> I got to go. I got to do my work. And one day she grabs him, grabs his cloak. And what does he do? Does he linger? Puts it to death. He runs out. He mortifies that. And what does she do? She lies about him. Potiphar believes her instead of the best man he's had for some time. He goes to prison. You know the rest of the story. That's what we're to do running from it in our mind, running from it, repenting of it. And thank the Lord, he loves to receive us. He doesn't say, wait out there, no, no, you you sinned against me too many times in this way. In besetting sins, we fail hundreds of times possibly. Could be thousands. And the Lord says, come boldly into the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And the Lord gives grace, grace for grace. We read it this morning. And their sins you've put to death. Praise God. This is a tough one for men. Now, men have problems with their eyes. Why didn't he speak to the women? I'm going to speak to that right now. I don't know a lot about the differences. I know a whole, some. It seems like men are more visual, but women are more auditory. It's words. They're linguistic. They speak earlier sometimes. They write earlier. And they like to hear words, affirming words. It might be on the internet. Oh, just a friend. We're just kind of texting. We're just Steve Green wrote a sang a hymn. It says, A harmless glance leads to romance and homes are divided. A harmless email. We're just friends. And things get tight and adultery is occurring. You're wishing you had that person. What is the 10th commandment? Do not covet your neighbor's wife. (laughs) Is she prettier? I'm just telling you, man, if you're doing this right, she's not, because there's only one, and there's no number two. You have eyes, you have a covenant with your eyes. I'm gonna look at my wife, and I'll have my wife-shaped eyes. She doesn't fit in that shape. I'm sorry. The Song of Solomon, it says, As the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. You got one lily, man. The rest are thorns. Now, they're sisters, and it tells us in Titus we're to treat them with all purity. How can we do that? By the grace of God. When God commands us to do something, he he doesn't say, if you can get this done, I'll see you at the end. He says, no, I'll help you. Without me, you can do nothing. As you fail along the way, as you're climbing the hill of righteousness not to be saved, I'm there to help you. Don't stop climbing. Do not dare turn around the other way and run down the hill to sin as you once did. Now, please forgive this long list. And if you need me to email this to you, I'll email it to you. So some of you take notes. Just listen. How in the world are we going to put these things off? Well, the first thing I think is that if you look at Romans 13, if you get this first point, all the rest are going to follow it. They all tuck under the first point. Okay, verse 13 says, let's go back to verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Do you see that there? You're mortifying them. And let us put on the armor of light. You're not just putting off. You're putting on the armor of light, his word. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, the commentary on that could be in Ephesians 6. It gives all the parts of the armor of Christ. But put on the armor of light that's himself. You go to Christ and say, Lord, I need your armor. I'm going into a place where, well, I hope you're not going to a place purposely to be tempted. We, we could do that. Kind of flirting with a little bit, just see if I'm if I, I still tempted in this way. Don't do it. <laughs> no, flee like Joseph. There's some places you can't go. You can't do this. But you put on the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are. What if you are tempted? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What would he do? He, he was in purity. He will forgive me, cleanse me, help me. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and look at this next statement. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Provision for the flesh. Why would you have these books around or these things around that could cause you to stumble? Why would you click on this on the internet that's going to cause you to stumble? Don't make any provision. God forgive us for making provisions. We have. But that's his command. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a a blessing. (laughs) To have Christ. He is there. In heaven you'll always be wearing his righteousness. Righteousness. But here you put it on. I'm going to go through these. Never read anything that will do you harm. Abstain from foolish talking, jokes, insinuations. Ban flirtation. Put it away from you. What is flirting? What is that purpose? To incite, right? To draw. Cease looking at anything visual that is suggestive, provocative, wickedly stimulating among videos, movies, internet, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, etc. Don't do it. You seen the movie Fireproof? If you haven't, I don't wreck it with this one scene, but he's got a problem with the P word. And so he smashes his computer. And I was thinking, well, that's great causing him problems. See the movie. But I thought later, he still has a brain. He still put all that stuff in his brain. Give him grace to smash that and put that away and not look at it again. Psalm 101, 3 says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And then it says in First Thessalonians 5, abstain from all appearance of evil. Flee from every form of evil. Abstain means to avoid every form of evil. There's some great movies to watch, great Christian movies. But I'm telling you, there's some movies out there that you could watch with some benefit, but I'm telling you, there is no such thing as adult entertainment. It's adult wickedness many times. Yes, there's things, titles and things, and Areas that children don't need to see and they are for adults. But there's a whole lot of that adult stuff. You can't have it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, we must deliberately restrain the flesh. Paul said, I keep under my body. I discipline my body. Give yourselves to purity in putting the word in your heart. Remember, it says in Psalm 119, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you're putting the word in your heart, what are you doing? Putting fuel there for God to use. And he uses his words. It's living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's alive to help you not sin. It also says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to your word. Stack the word in your heart. Make Christ your aim to know him and to be like him. Remember, 1 John 2, 6 says, walk in his steps. What else? (laughs) That's all we want, isn't it? Lord, make me like Jesus. That's what he's saying to put me on and you're going to be fighting this and I call it World War III. I was was going downstream in sin so well. The Lord saved me and all of a sudden turned me around. Oh, no. (laughs) You've seen the the salmon in Washington State are trying to get up the cataracts. It's us and we're falling back and there's bears over there and they're snatching us out of the... It's terrible. It's World War Three, but we've got to go on and God has won World War Three. Jesus conquered sin at the cross. You died with him there. Don't let the Satan say, you're done now. No, you always turn back to the Lord Jesus. There's no greater help than in being pure than looking to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and considering him. That's what God thinks of sin. And that's what God did for your sin. So we must mortify. I will move quickly through the, the, the third point and we get to the fourth. The third point is that this is a protection for marriage. Verse 31 says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of a divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now in the next message, we will open that up further. But do you see how this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And if you seek to do that, it is that wall around your Marriage. Protecting your marriage. Pharisees thought they'd done that. No, I'm watching my mind. I'm watching my heart because I only have one wife. My eyes are for her. I made a covenant with God and every other woman in the world. and not as pretty as she is. I'm sorry. I don't care if she weighs 400 pounds. She's prettier than they. You understand what I'm saying? You made a covenant with God. I am going to stay with you until death. That's what the the first commandments were. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder, including yourself. And so, by the grace of God, yes, the Lord Jesus, in this particular statement, there is an exception. I'll deal with it later, but we're not at the altar. You say, honey, don't forget the exceptions. I got an out clause. No. I'm going to love you. I'm going to protect my eyes. I'm going to protect you. You'll be my only one and we're one flesh and we're going to be more more one flesh as time proceeds, even unto death. Just one in heart and soul. The fourth point. Christ fulfills this commandment. Can you imagine? The Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Pure way to bring a holy son into a sinful world. And then that child, all the way through his youth, never sinned once. When he went through puberty, things changed. He never sinned. What power was in the Lord Jesus. Yes, he was tempted in all points as we were. That doesn't mean he forayed into sin and said, oh, I can't go there. He never went there. The sinless, spotless son of God, when he was baptized at the age of 30, the father looked down from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased in him. He's never sinned in 30 years. And there were beautiful women in Israel. There were harlots that he ate meals with. And when he looked at them, he never thought what he could get. He thought what he could give. And they saw that in him. They saw someone who was not going to misuse them. He was a friend of sinners. And he saved them. And they washed his feet with their hair. And they were pure. They were washed of all those sins. And dis- disciples who had sinned were washed of all their sins. And Jesus had never sinned. He fulfilled the law. But we had not. And what did that law say? The law said the soul that sins, it shall die. And for all those thoughts, all those things we've done, all those self-gratifying things that have occurred, Jesus paid for those. How did he pay for them? Let's think about that that day, that 24-hour period. Remember at night they took him, army of men with Judas. Well, they didn't have to take him. He knocked him down with his word, right? <laughs> Called 12,000 legions of angels and destroyed them. No, I'm going to give myself. Scriptures have got to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but I like my sleep. As a child, I, I don't think I could have been a fireman because they had to stay up all night. I used to think about that. I couldn't have been a fireman. And Jesus was up all nights. Six tribunals where they cursed him. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Later he would be scourged before Pilate. They would cry, crucify him. They would take him off and he's bearing, he's, he's bearing his cross. He's bleeding all over the ground because they made long their furrows on my back. He's going up a hill, Calvary, and he can't make it. He drops the cross. Simon, I don't care if you're African American or not, you get up here, you're from Cyrene, you carry this cross. He did. And the cross got to the top of Calvary, and there was a centurion there. He said, nail him up. And Jesus would put on two boards that he had made. And nails pierced through one hand, a little time later, a nail was pierced through the next hand. One or two nails through his feet. Crown of thorns on his head. And they put it on the ground. And they cursed him still. If you're the Son of God, you ought to be able to come down from there. If you could destroy if you could build the temple in three days, come on up. He wouldn't do it. He died for us. And he finally said, Father, into into your hands I commit my spirit. For three days, he was in the grave and he rose. He sent it into heaven. He is interceding right now for us. He is alive. He's alive to hear our repentance. He's alive to hear a sinner turn to him today who has never done that before. Today is the day of salvation you don't have tomorrow. The devil say, well, someday you can come. Come today. He has blessed us all to hear the gospel. That's his call. We don't walk an aisle here. We go to a heaven and we speak to Christ, ask him to save us. I hope you've come. We've seen the Lord Jesus correct how this commandment was being mistaught. We've seen how he has commanded us to mortify this sin in our hearts and lives. We've seen how he protects our marriages with this commandment. And praise God, we've seen how he died for us and rose again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given your blessed and beloved son. We have nothing to be proud of, but we have everything to be ashamed if we do not come to you, Lord. Lord, But you said, Lord, the one who comes to you will not be ashamed. Thank you, Lord, that every sin we've committed is placed upon Christ if we come to him. And all your righteousness marked to our account. Lord, we do ask you for grace to walk before you in purity. Only you can grant this, Lord. We pray for our children that you would save them at tender ages. Lord, show them the sin of their heart, but show them the wonder saviour. Lord, as we come now to the Lord's Supper, we pray that you'd help us to remember your death and show that till you come. And we ask you this for Jesus' sake. Amen.